from where the truth has invaded the empire of lies. It's the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I am Lee Stranahan, and this is Backstory. We have a great show today. In the first hour, our former co-host here on the Backstory, the current co-host of Political Misfits, John Kiriakou will be joining us. In the second hour, our guest host will be Carl Laren from Unsafe Space. And our guest will be Edward Guillory. All that coming up and taking your calls at 202-521-1320. This is The Backstory. And great show today. How you doing, Rod? I'm good, Lee. How about yourself? How's, how's everything going? They're fine, you know, fine. It was actually snowing today in South Dakota. Welcome to April in South Dakota. <laughs> Did it stick? Not much, no. No, it didn't. But you used to you used to go to school up in Minnesota, so you know how the weather gets up here. You can Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're not shocked by snow in uh, April, are you? No, that's why I just wanted to know if it was sticking or not, because it that can happen at any time. Right. June, it it could happen. So but it was snowing a little bit, but it wasn't that bad. And you're right, it didn't really stick, but still, it tried. So the big news is, I'm never going to get this right, and we'll be talking about this with Elva Guillory later, but what's her name? J- Jumanji? Jumanji? Tanji what is Jackson it? Brown. Tanji Jackson Brown. Okay. Now, did you have to get, is this, have you ever heard anyone with that name? No, not Katanji, no. Right. That part's new. You, uh, Jacksons and Browns, you may have heard of. That's possible. But the first part, and I'm not saying it's not her name, and I, I don't care, but it's just hard to remember. Because it sort of sounds like, any number of things. So she has been voted up by the Senate, including Republicans. Now, were you surprised that she got votes from the likes of Mitt Romney and Susan Collins? No, not at all. Not at all, Lee. I mean, the, the, they were saying as soon as... uh. As soon as uh, the last Supreme Court said he was going to step down and the rumor started, they were already naming her. And just the fact that they already knew who it was knew, <laughs> told me she was going to get was going to get in. Yes, this is compared to the, you know, Judge Kavanaugh confirmation. This is non-dramatic. There was no huge scandal or anything that they tried to gin up. And I also thought it was very boring. It, it, like you say, it was obvious that they would have had to find her. They were sure had to pull a gun or something for them to vote no on any large numbers. The Democrats were going to vote for this. Period. The end. And I didn't hear much dramatic. Did you? No, but it's just it's just a little ironic that. 
they're celebrating the first black woman when she couldn't even she couldn't even define what a woman is. So, you know, what what are we really celebrating if she can't even define what a woman is? Well, she doesn't know. The science, you know, there's many complex things on the science there. But uh, I also think that now that she's been voted on the Supreme Court, it was very anticlimactic in a sense. I don't feel, I don't feel this matters in any way. Do you? Like no, her she's, just, she's, she's just, she's just, she's just replacing Breyer. So it's not, it's not. The only thing is that she's a black woman. That's the only difference. Is just we're just changing uh, her skin color and their you know, gender. I guess I don't. I don't even know. It's just weird. <laughs> this is even a, a subject matter. But um, her gender. I guess that's that's the only thing that's really changing. But uh, as far as her being placed on Supreme Court, um, that's about it. Now, who do you think can swim faster? Her or Clarence Thomas? I think I, I think I, I put my money on Clarence Thomas. Actually, there we go. So he could win in swimming, which is all that matters gender-wise. That's fine. But but I thought it was it, you know if for something that's a historic, I guess. What I mean by that is, I I, I just don't see this as making a big difference. And certainly in pe- people's lives, this, as you say, she's replacing Breyer. It's not sh- shifting the, sh- the balance of the Supreme Court or anything like that. So that's happened, though. Congratulations to her and whatever. I, it's just nothing I can get excited about. Now, uh, the war stuff continues, and we'll talk about that with John when he's on, because there's a few things that were going on. One, they've kicked Russia off the UN Human Rights Council. Right? That's that happened. Yeah, and I was I'm gonna send you a clip so you could play with John. Hopefully we can have it have it set on time. And it's uh it's Cuba at the UN and uh the delegation for Cuba and they're talking about uh how they why they didn't vote in favor of kicking Russia out because they know they'll be next. You know, it's pretty much accusing uh, the U.S. of being bullies. No, right. And so far, last I looked a few hours ago, nobody had independently confirmed the accusations about Bucha that Ukraine is making. Has anyone done that yet? Has anyone confirmed independently that what they've said is true is true no i haven't i haven't seen that i've actually seen more uh question raising by the facts of uh you know when the troop when the russian troops were there when the russian troops left and that so that time gap there of, of when these this killing site was when when did it appear you know that so that's more of what's being what i'm seeing versus evidence of uh russia being guilty of it i also saw with my own eyes Footage, and I don't know what it was, but Ukrainian troops, bodies lying on the street, and then moving them around. Have you seen that footage? Yeah, I've actually seen that footage, and then I've seen a response from uh, Russian government on that, and then I've seen the Ukraine response. So it's just like, 
it's just like the just one big information mess because you don't know what you don't know what to kind of believe or see. But I, I did see that video. Though. But the fact that Russia was kicked off this important UN political body, uh, kicked off over these accusations, is is another form of atrocity. They were not found guilty of anything. They have kicked off over accusations, and that is deeply disturbing. And we'll see if there's ramifications in the UN long-term, because governments like China and India and Pakistan and a few others are looking at this, and they they it can't impress them that it would be one thing if they'd made their case, they'd proven their case, then they found it. Even then, it's questionable whether they should be kicked off because of that. Because if you're kicking off people committing war crimes, well, let's not look to the U.S. So we can't want that. The, po- the policy cannot be that if you commit war crimes, you're going to be kicked off. Because if that's the policy, the U.S. is in trouble. But the fact that this is over accusations and quickly, within the week, that is stunning and uh, a very dangerous precedent. But well, I'll mention something. It's also it's news. We've been talking about it all week. Elon Musk is on the board of Twitter, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it. But last night, I went to bed early because I've been exhausted. And when I went to bed early, Scott Ritter, who has a guest this week, the great Scott Ritter, had been kicked off Twitter. He'd been expelled from Twitter. Then I went to sleep, took a nap. When I woke up from my nap, Scott Ritter was back. So that was a quick turnaround as well. But and at first, I was, of course, shocked. And it was sad that Scott Ritter was kicked off. Also, because a lot of, as we talked about with Jim Hoff yesterday, a lot of guests of ours on this show end up getting kicked off Twitter, which is a bad omen. But we're happy. We're sad to see they was kicked off. But we're happy to see they got restored. Quickly. You saw that, Rod. That happened. It was a revolving door. You saw that, right? Yeah, I did see that. And it, um, I don't I don't know if it has anything to do with Elon Musk. Uh, I, I would say, from my point of view, I saw uh, a uh, grassroots movement of people from uh, ideological spectrums. It didn't matter that were showing support for Scott. And they were uh, tagging Twitter and uh, Whatnot, and I think that I think maybe that more than anything. Um, I'm not again. I don't. I don't know if, if Elon joining the board that fast is he creating effect. I'm really. I'm more more cynical on this. I'm just going to wait and see. But uh, I think it was the grassroots uh, and you know international people as well, just all over the world saying, you know, what are you, what are you suspending Scott for? He didn't. Say, he didn't even say anything. He was just reporting on the the news of what's happening in Ukraine. 
Well, no, you know, I'm not saying that Elon Musk had anything to do with it. There may have been some pressure to reverse their stupid decision to throw Scott off because I think the thing that had to do with it was this is a nonsensical decision. They threw Scott off. Yeah, I think we're having, we're having uh, difficulties with uh, Lee's connection right now, but yeah, he was commenting on why they threw Scott off. And, it, you know, anybody who saw the tweet itself, Scott was reporting on what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. There was nothing, he wasn't uh, directing any insults to any, towards anybody. Uh, he wasn't even insulting um, America in the tweet, just reporting what was going on in Ukraine. And for him to get suspended, uh, I think is, is one of the most outrageous things. Uh, to the Twitter, they had no nothing in their community guidelines would have uh, detailed what Scott did because again he's just reporting his analysis and point of view what's happening in Ukraine, from the military, military his military point of view, and uh, the losses of, of lives going on over there from the Ukraine's military and uh, so yeah I, I agree with I agree with Lee that just is just one of the most out, outrageous things. We have we have Leakin. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. I I know where I went because I heard you the whole time, but uh, but my connection is doing something weird. But uh, this was an outrage, and I'm glad it was reversed. The thing I'll point out about Elon Musk is, you know, I still hold out some hope, and partially based what what. What they have is an entrenched bureaucracy at Twitter that's committed to censorship. And they have people saying publicly, you know, people on the board, you know, employees of Twitter, I mean, we are not going to restore Trump. And I I don't think Trump's being restored is, in fact, I would argue this. Them restoring Trump could potentially be trouble for Trump because he puts his he says some dumb stuff on Twitter, right? And he certainly says stuff that makes him a target on Twitter. So, I think. Do you think Trump being off Twitter has been bad for Trump so far, Rod? So I think if it's been bad for him, I think for his reach. I think it's been bad, you know, for a guy who's been a celebrity <clears throat> from being a building, doing buildings in, in Manhattan to a celebrity on a reality show and a politician. I think that, I think that's been bad for him. But um, I think it's been good that people, like you said, haven't seen the stuff he's been putting out. I know he puts out those uh, newsletters type statements that get uh, published on uh, social media. Uh, and it's been a lot of stupid stuff. It hasn't been anything. It hasn't been anything helpful, especially what's going on now. He's just been making a lot of stupid comments and, you know, like he does on Twitter. So I, I believe in that way it's been positive. People haven't seen stupid jokes. Yeah, and, and I think not hearing from Trump every day gives you a chance to feel nostalgic for him. Gives you a chance to miss him. And I don't think it's hurt him. I'm not, I'm not saying it's good for the country. I think you should be able to hear people, but especially former presidents should not be banned from social media platforms. That is bizarre that we have a former president who was banned from a social media platform. 
but that's not the biggest restoration. I I want the chilling effect of people being afraid of they could say anything to go away. I want that to affect if if that stops um, impacting people. There are millions of people who have found out in the last year they are not safe. If they say the wrong thing about COVID or now they say the wrong thing about the war. And that's what I want to go away. It's not about one person. It's about everyone. But let's go to calls 202-521-1320. Millie in Texas, what is on your mind? Hi. Uh, I just wanted to say I, I think that Trump and whatever his party is right now, which I would not even establish as Republican or Democrat at this point, is basically if you really want to say the rejection of society that's been kicked off of social media, it's really tough to evaluate what his followers are because there's not a presence where you can actually see them in the online uh, atmosphere. And I think what happened with Scott was Twitter realized that they cannot control a, a very large mass audience if they just keep kicking off these major players that have been informing us about the war and the realities of it. If they don't have that control group where they can monitor them and they're no longer on their platform, that doesn't serve their benefit even with censorship. So they have to bring some of these people back in if they fight hard enough. Um, Scott was a big one, though, because I saw immediately how much everybody was freaking out on other platforms to get him onto their platform when he was removed. Yes, and I think, of course, he should go to other platforms. A anyone who is not looking at this and thinking, what platform should I be on, is nuts. Uh, even I, I like Twitter, and I'm somewhat hopeful about the Elon Musk thing. That being said, I am not stupid, and I am looking at alternatives. And some of these alternatives rumble not on, on alternatives to YouTube more than Twitter. The alternatives to Twitter seem to be Telegram, although it's not exactly the same. I see a lot of people on Telegram. Are you seeing that humanly? No, I'm seeing them on Gab because that's the only one that they're not getting censored, and it's uh, it's everybody and everybody duking it out the way that you would see if they didn't have the censorship. So the videos that y'all are seeing edited, they're, they're showing it full there. And, you know, we see a different part of the war that everybody else is weeks behind, days behind on reality of it because they always see the clips or the edited versions, um, even through these other telegrams or whatever, uh, that they're still edited. Yeah, or they just don't see them. They don't see anything at all. But thanks for the call. 202-521-1320. Command Central said, Tarif. Tarif, what is on your mind? You hear me? Um, thank you for my call. First, I'd like to say free June Assange. I have three comments. Um, the ruble is at 77. It's actually doing good now. I want to understand the West don't like that. They might get desperate and try to do other sanctions that's going to turn around and hurt them in the future like was already hurting Germany, Germany and Italy industry, right? Second comment, um, it was speculating, I was watching different analysts today how they bring bringing back Obama, and Obama, you know, is like talking to the press now, things of that nature, and speculation that 
maybe by June of next year, 2023, that they might get Biden to resign and get Kamala Harris to be president and bring in somebody else as vice president because it seemed like you have infighting going on dealing with the administration. And also, you know, like I told you about the Fed, you know, those rumors that they might raise raise up the interest two more basis points. I mean, excuse me, point 25, point 50 or something like that, bringing it to a whole percent or, or percent point 25. And that ain't going to do good for this um, housing market. My last comment is dealing with, um, I was listening to analysts again today, and they were talking about it's probably the, the Russian government, the Russian military already probably captured some Western foreigners already. And, and, and it's rumored, speculation that they're already in Crimea, you know, spilling out the guts about what was being done. But it was in Murpool. So you might find out when June come around when they have the tribunals in, in Russia. I mean, oh, excuse me, in Donbass region, when they have the um, tribunals there, that's where we might find out what's going on once they put these POWs out to testify. So, yeah, see, let's wait then to find out what's going on in June, but that's when the tribunal is going to start. Thank you, Lee, for taking my call. Thanks to the call, Sharif. And keep your eye on Mariupol, as you're saying. Uh, there's lots of... Oh, the, the other big story, this reminds me, speaking of which, because there's uh, fresh elements in Mariupol, and all of a sudden, and it, it really is sudden, Macron is in trouble. Have you seen that, Rod? That Le Pen, Marine Le Pen, is in the latest poll ahead of, and this election is like tomorrow or something, isn't it? Sunday, so, Sunday, S- Sunday this weekend. So Macron is now. He was clearly leading a week ago, and then this has happened, and 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 given the disastrous choices Germany's made, and given the fact that France was one of the countries was a signatory to the Minsk Accords and did nothing. In a lot of ways, this is a failure. This war is a failure of France and Germany. And I, if, if Macron ends up losing and Le Pen ends up taking over, this is going to be a shockwave. And suddenly... That'll be, that'll, that'll be a, bi- a big shock to the uh, to the global order because I, I believe she or wouldn't you say she would pull she would pull out any support for this war as far as militarily and, and any type of financial support yes and so that's another thing to keep track of uh Deborah let's go to you five two one thirteen twenty go ahead Deborah Hi, Lee. Welcome back. We're grateful that you're doing better. I think uh, what I have seen, or what I, because I do a lot of reading from the foreign press and that, and it's not our tape, please. I, um, 
I think this is twofold. I think this is with the G7 has started this against Russia way before they recognized the two independent states. And I think what they're trying to do with the G7 and some of these other uh, – they're trying to take Germany down because Germany has the highest gross domestic product. And you can't get anything done in the EU unless you go through Germany. Second is that Russia – wants to rule themselves sounds familiar the way we used to think right and they are challenging that they will cooperate and they go by international law and the stuff is that with this mince agreement that they did not recognize because they had no intentions of recognizing it so what we're in is is that I'll tell you who I fear most. It isn't Ukraine. It isn't Russia. It isn't China. I really fear more of our U.S. government. I think they're out of control. The U.S. Senate has been pushing all this to sanction everybody to God knows where, and and we're all suffering. And there and this is also your European citizens are suffering too. So that's kind of what. What I don't think this is about, this is about conquering. And the money changers that set all around, and one thing that Rick Wilds of True News brought up is that in our Constitution about free speech was to, uh, that we had a right not to be censored. But these corporations now have more money than some of small countries do. And they're controlling the narrative. Anyway, Lee, keep up the good work, and God's on your side, dear. Oh, thank you very much. Great call. Great call. Thank you. Nice to you say, Deborah. And uh, I think you're right. I think the the U.S. is a lot of this is is the reduction of the U.S.'s authority. The U.S. Everything they've done has backfired. The sanctions have backfired. And I think a lot of people in the world don't like the U.S. being in charge of the New World Order. And that seems to me like it might be broken forever. And we'll see. But good call. Let's go to last call before we break to bring on John Kiriakou. 202 Esteban. You're on the air. Esteban, what's on your mind? Hello. Yeah, basically, I think one of the problems we have in the U.S. is we don't have the yellow vest. We don't have the people organizing on the street fighting these corporations that are controlling the Congress, the White House, and fuzzy bottom offices. In other countries, there are social justice fighters for years that finally come to power and do things for their people. Here, we were very close to do that with Bernie Sanders. The Democrat corruption inside the, the, the party screw everything up to, to support the Clinton narrative. And now we have this guy in the White House screwing everything. He's going to be taken down because of his son. Messed up. He's going to go into grand jury. He's going to be forced to resign. And then we're going to have Kamala, which is so unprepared in the world, what's going on in the world. It's, it's, it's very embarrassing, you know, this. 21st century for, for the American dream and for the American uh, policy that made us one of the best countries to look after. And now, like you said, the global South is turning their back on us because the mess 
we are, thanks to the corporation. No, I agree, Esteban, and uh, thanks for the call. Another point, and I, I'll expand on this later in the week, maybe, or next week. But I think one of the dangers here is that the left in America, and I'm talking about the the actual left, not just the establishment Democrats. The left does not want a coalition. They need to realize that the working class right now has been supporting Trump. They don't like that. They're not comfortable with it. And they hate Trump. And they need to realize that the people who they should be looking to for coalition are on the right. And that the, the people, because that's who's going to oppose the establishment left. It's not going to come from the left. And I'm seeing over and over, they don't want coalitions with the right. They end up getting very insulting and they just fall back to, and also they buy into a lot of the fake wokeness. But by, by which I mean wokeness, that it's real wokeness that turns into crazy policy. So I'll talk about that later. Let's take a short break. When we come back, our guest is John Kiriakou, and we'll be talking with him about people from the Azov Battalion actually addressing the Greek government and how the Greeks reacted to that. Let's take a short break, then come back with John on The Backstory. Back on the backstory. Our guest this half hour is John Kiriakou. He, of course, is the co host of Political Mistress here on Sputnik and the former co host of this show. Welcome back, John. How you doing? Hey, man. Good to be back. Doing well, thanks. So let's talk. There's some Greek news. And of course, you're the Greek news person. You know so much about the situation over there. As I understand it, a member of the Azov Battalion spoke to the Greek government, and that was somewhat controversial, correct? Oh, boy. Yeah, it was extraordinarily controversial. You know, the the Greeks, most people don't know this. On a, on a per capita basis, the Greeks lost more citizens during World War II at the hands of the Nazis than any other country in Europe. And so... The, the scar, the stain of, of Nazism, of fascism, it still resonates in Greece. It's, it's helped to shape Greek society. So to send someone who's an actual Nazi is just so unbelievably uh, uh, tone deaf. I, I just can't believe that the Ukrainians went and did something like that. It just defies all logic. And and we pointed out before, I don't know if you've seen any footage, when they went through some of these Azov Italian leaders, when they cleared out in Mariupol, uh, they went through some of their homes, and they found a lot of these guys actually have, I don't know if you saw this, World War II memorabilia, Nazi memorabilia from World War II in their house. Oh, unbelievable. Like, 
like, and so, so what has, what in general, I'm curious, what in general has been the reaction of Greek to the war? Uh, because not everyone, as we've seen, has the same reaction to the war. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, a lot of countries um, uh, have different reactions. A lot of NATO countries have different reactions. You know, the, the Greeks traditionally have had very good relations with the Russians. And it's it's mostly because Russia is an officially Orthodox uh, Christian country and Greece is an officially Orthodox Christian country. And so they've always had that between them. And frequently, when things would get bad between the United States and the Soviet Union, the U.S. would go to Greece and ask the Greeks if they could weigh in with the Russians and try to smooth things over. It's a little different now because the 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 Russians and the Turks have closer relations and any country that has good relations with Turkey is going to have you know bad relations with Greece that's just the way it is that's how much the Greeks and the Turks hate each other so in the beginning of the of the war the Greeks tried hard to remain as neutral as they could uh, they called in the Russian ambassador and said look we think this is a mistake we think you guys should pull out. And then in the end, they were just sort of forced to go along with whatever the the uh, European Union and um, and NATO were doing. I was sorry to see yesterday that the Greeks expelled 12 Russian diplomats and the Russians were shocked by it. I read the Russian statement that came out of the foreign ministry and it wasn't a normal statement. It was really one of shock and saying that there are going to be repercussions, meaning the Russians are going to expel 12 Greek diplomats in the coming days. So it's been kind of disappointing. The, the Greeks are not all in with the Ukrainians like this. They're worried about a very large Greek minority in, in uh, Mariupol, or however you say, or say it, Mariupol. Um, there, there are 15,000 ethnic Greeks there. But man, this thing about Azov Battalion and fascism, it's just not going to play, Lee. Not in Greece, not in a country that had a fascist dictatorship for for uh, seven years. Now, do you think there's any repercussions for the EU in general, for the alliance there? Because Gr Greece, the, the, the economic spectrum of the EU seems to have been at the top of the pecking chain was Germany. Yeah. They had right. the money and yep. Greece and the Southern countries were at the bottom and that there was some resentment on the part of the EU countries that they're having to pick up the slack for Greece. Right. And that Germany was doing it. But with these sanctions backfiring on Germany and for instance, the oil and gas market in Germany by them rejecting Russian energy and them actually nationalizing some grass farm assets recently, mm -hmm. that's going to end up being disastrous for great for, for forgive me for Germany. Do you think yes. there's any repercussions on the EU in general, shakeup of the EU, as it were? I do because there are a lot of countries that are in the same the same predicament that Greece is in. Greece imports 100% of its energy, right? 
And 85% of that comes from Russia. Now, the last time I was on the show, you and I talked about whatever we were talking about, the issue of gas prices in Greece came up. And I said, oh, I, I had just been in Greece and it's like eight bucks a gallon there. Well, now it's like 11 bucks a gallon. And, um, you know, that's that's not tenable, especially in a country that has one of the lower, you know, per capita incomes in the European Union. So, yeah, I think this is going to backfire on the EU. I think that actually Hungary has a better idea that, look, you know, we can be united as an alliance. We can be united as an economic union. That doesn't mean that we have to put a thousand different kinds of sanctions on the Russians and wreck our own economies at the same time. You know, we can keep up diplomacy and tell the Russians, you got to go to the negotiating table, go back to Istanbul, negotiate a peace deal. You know, I was reminded of something on Friday, Lee, that the former Soviet foreign minister, Andrei Gromyko, once said. He said, I would rather have 10 years of difficult negotiations than one day of war. And he was right. He was right. And we should remind ourselves of that. We should encourage both sides to go to the negotiating table. We should offer up whatever economic or diplomatic assistance we can. And when I say we, I mean NATO and the allied countries and try to get this whole thing behind us because nobody's going to come out ahead in this war. Now, let's turn to another EU country. The elections in France are happening this weekend. And in a shock poll, Le Pen is leading Macron. It looks like Macron may actually lose this thing. And this is yeah. even two weeks ago, This no one saw this coming, that they thought it might be closer, but no one saw upon winning right and now that's actually a reality according to polling what do you think would be the consequences of upon winning in france i i think that marine le pen is is the donald trump of of france you know when you look at these polls it's surprising to me that the polls are surprising to some people because Marine Le Pen is a better politician. She's a better campaigner. And when the yellow vests were taking over the streets, uh, she played it better than he did. Macron, Macron was all in to fight the, the yellow vests. He wanted to crack heads. They were spraying people with with uh, tear gas, they were shutting off entire sections of the city, uh, city employees, fe uh, federal even employees who were wearing yellow vests were fired from their jobs. She didn't do any of that. She said that, or, I mean, she didn't support any of it. She said that the people who have taken to the streets, the working class, have legitimate grievances legitimate grievances that the government needs to address. And the government under Macron didn't address them. You can't, you can't confront every problem with an iron fist. And that's what he did. So I think she is just, you know, whether you agree with her on policy or not, she is a far superior politician than he is. And, and he, he's never been terribly popular. 
And she's been around long enough that people have actually gotten used to her. She's also far more subtle than her father was. You know, her father was just a mean, just a mean extremist. And, and she's not. Not only is, is she more of a mainstream populist conservative, she's also able to vocalize that position in a way that her father was not, and in a way that Macron just can't. So uh, I think this is a fascinating race. Fascinating. Now, now I want to ask you about Victor Orban and his recent election victory in just a second. But we have a clip. Rod, what is this clip? Tell me, what is this clip again? This is uh, Cuba at the UN talking. Uh, they're pretty much talking bad about the uh, Russia being kicked off the Human Rights Council. Right. So w we have the vote today. Yeah. Russia's kicked off the Human Rights Council. First off, how big a deal is that? On a scale of one to 10, it's at the very most a one, meaning zero importance whatsoever. Look, you've got this phony organization at the United Nations that's supposed to be committed to human rights and tracking human rights and uh, and making sure that countries stay within the, the confines of the, the Convention on, on Human Rights. And it's chaired by Saudi Arabia. I mean, this is like such an, an offensive joke. I, I don't know how any country on the planet can take this organization seriously, besides the fact that it has no enforcement authorities whatsoever. None. And when the, <laughs> when the, the chairing country, as they did, what, two Fridays ago, lines up 81 people after Friday prayers and executes them at the same time. Come on, how seriously are we going to take human rights here? So they throw the Russians off? Big deal. Big deal. It means nothing. If I were the Russians, I wouldn't lose five minutes of sleep over it. Well, let's see. Let's see, hear the clip, the Cubans explaining their vote on that. Roll it. That suspension mechanism, which has no parallel in any other body of the United Nations, could be easily used selectively. It is Russia today, but tomorrow it could be any of our countries, especially nations of the South, which do not support the interests of domination and which firmly defend their independence. It was not by chance that the more enthusiastic promoters of the suspension clause when negotiating the new Human Rights Council were developed nations with a models of democracy uh, while uh, being remaining silent uh, in the case of flagrant violations in Western countries. Not everyone in this hall share our concerns about the suspension mechanism. They know that the victims of its selective use will always be others. Now, John, do you have a correction, by the way, on the... I have a correction. The Saudis, the Saudis are no longer the, the chair. They, they were the chair of a subcommittee. Before that, they were the actual chair, but that has, that has since uh, ended. So there's my correction. But, you know, the Cubans are exactly right. Uh, this is one of those situations where, you know, who's going to be next? If if the United States and the UK decide that they don't like your politics or they don't like some policy that you have, they're going to throw you off next. 
They're going to throw you out of uh, UNICEF. They're going to throw you off of this committee or that committee. I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter because the UN is a toothless organization anyway. But it's just another one of those diplomatic sanctions that the West likes to to wield uh, as a as a club. Now we were talking about the European elections, of upcoming elections in France, and they recently had an election in Hungary, and Viktor Orbán had a decisive victory, including against a coalition that was partially put together by Zelensky, and Viktor Orbán made a statement: "This is a victory against Soros and Zelensky." And although Mark Zavodas pointed out that. It's not like Hungary's an ally of Russia's exactly. Right. They're they're clearly in a more moderate position than the rest of the EU, than many of the major EU powers. How significant do you think that victory by Orban is? I think that it is quite significant and even more significant than it otherwise uh, would have been, more significant than it it would have been had there not been a war. Um, and it's because Orban, again, whether you like his politics or not, he's exercised leadership that we haven't seen in the rest of the uh, the European Union, where as soon as the war began, he said, look, this is not our fight. We have good relations with Russia. We have good relations with Ukraine. This is between them, and we don't want to get involved. And then when the United States, through NATO, uh, started talking about major sanctions, throwing the Russians out of SWIFT, for example, cutting off Nord Stream 2, uh, sanctioning individual Russians, uh, ending trade. Orban said, none of that None of that is in Hungary's national interest. And again, it's not Hungary's fight. And so he stood up to both to the, to the EU and to NATO. And, uh, and you can see how Hungarians support that position because he won a resounding victory. And I also think it's significant because it's a rejection of Soros, who's, they've, yeah. you know, threw him out a while ago in Hungary. But to a lot of the countries over there, including Hungary, I think they see what happened in Ukraine in 2014, that the U.S. backed one of these color revolutions which are Soros-backed, and yes. overthrew the government, and they know it, it happened to them. And they know that yes. Soros is in there as a sower of chaos and is sowing these color revolutions all throughout the region, and that if the U.S. game was spinning the bottle, if the bottle ends up pointing at Hungary— they saw what happened in Belarus, for instance, the attempted color revolution. Mm -hmm. And I think they see the threat to them. And, and how do you think a country like Hungary looks at what's happening in Germany? Germany has been forced into interest, uh, actions that are not in their interests. Yeah. I would say Germany being forced to not deal with Russia is going to have catastrophic effects on the German economy. Yeah, it'll push Germany into recession. 
without a doubt. And might push them into a different kind of economy. They've been an industrial economy. I don't see how that's sustainable if they have to if if they can't have stable gas and oil prices, which yes. Russia was giving them. And it may push them to a different kind of economy. And I don't know what that's going to be for Germany, but that's going to hurt. And the U.S. and when countries and we've seen this with with India, for instance, and Pakistan. We're not just seeing in Europe. We're seeing when countries don't go along with the U.S. agenda, they get threatened. And the case of Pakistan, what did you think? Because, you know, Pakistan, what did you think of the U.S. being behind an apparently an assassination attempt on Imran Khan. What did you think of that? You know, to tell you the truth, I, I just didn't believe it because Imran Khan is the best thing that the United States could hope for in, in Pakistan. He always has been. Uh, he's not religious at all. Uh, he's pro-Western. Uh, you can negotiate with him. He's willing to talk to the Indians you know, sure, we don't like the fact that he's he's as close to China as he is, but that's just a fact of life. That's just something the United States is going to have to accept. Uh, now he's in deep political trouble right now, uh, but but it's a domestic political political issue, and he needs a whipping boy. And frankly, you know, we're we're all adults. We can take being Imran Khan's whipping boy uh, if it's going to get him through an election. I I don't see any uh, any problem with that. So. I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think the United States has any national interest in overthrowing Imran Khan. But if he needs to be able to say that we did, then we should we should go with it. Yeah. Now, I, I find it very interesting when they're talking about the potential alliances shaping up of China, Russia. And India and Pakistan, that was mentioned yeah. both of them. And India and Pakistan, of course, kind of hate each other, right? So how's that going to work? Yeah, exactly. How in the world is that going to work? Good question. I don't think that it can over the long term. I really don't. But now that the war's over in Afghanistan, so long as the uh, as the Indians uh, stay out of it, I think uh, I think India and Pakistan will be able to peacefully coexist. Now, let's talk about U.S. politics for a second. The the Hunter Biden laptop story has now been acknowledged by The Washington Post, by The New York Times, yep. and even CNN. And we saw the other night, Joe, you must have seen the footage of Joe Biden being a walking ghost when Obama <laughs> came to the White House. Yeah, where lit- sure did. Literally couldn't get anyone to notice him. Do you think that I've 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 seen for the last week that it seems to me they're they're not ushering him out the door, but at least they're showing him that they can open the door and that they're showing him the door and they're that I'm seeing moves that I think are designed to usher Joe Biden out the door because the the Democrats know that this situation with the Biden laptop is not over. And as more revelations come out, it's going to be a big scandal for Biden. What do you say, John? Uh, I would agree. 
Um, I think the Democrats have a death wish if they want Joe Biden to be their standard bearer in the 2024 election. That just doesn't make any kind of sense to me at all. I, I just don't see how they can um, they can possibly hope to win uh, with Joe Biden leading the way. It doesn't make any kind of sense. But I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I want to add one other thing to Lee. Uh, there was a, a an open letter that was published uh, many months ago, signed by 51 retired senior CIA officers. And I mean, like former directors, deputy directors, deputy directors for operations, division chiefs, the, the, the cream of the crop of the CIA. And the whole point of this open letter was to say that the Hunter Biden laptop never belonged to Hunter Biden, that this was a Russian uh, information operation, that the laptop was the creation of uh, Russian intelligence services, and it was meant to disrupt American politics. Now, now these are people with 2,500 years of experience, combined experience at the CIA, putting their reputations on the line, saying that uh, none of this was real. This was all a Russian intelligence operation. And you know what? None of it was an intelligence operation. It was all real. And uh, they've never bothered to correct themselves or to admit to it. So, you know, they should, they should all be embarrassed. Not everything ties back to the Russians. Not everything is an attempt to subvert American society and American politics. Now, with that aside, I just don't see how Joe Biden gets through this. You know, we've we've got we've got a leak that the New York Post reported on yesterday from the Hunter Biden grand jury, where where the witness was asked what he meant when he wrote. 10% from H for the big guy or whatever the exact words were. Uh, we heard today also from the New York Post that while Hunter Biden was collecting $100,000 from a Chinese energy company, uh, his uncle, James Biden, who I never even heard of until yesterday, was taking another sixty-five grand. Uh, Donald Trump has been jumping up and down about money that may or may not have come from the wife of the mayor of Moscow to the Biden family. We need to get to the bottom of that. I just don't say I don't see how he survives this. Good point. We got to take a break now. We got a short break at the top of the hour. When we come back, taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Great talking to you, John. Great to talk to you, Lee. Okay. And let's take a break. And when we come back, we're taking your calls. And Carter Laren is joining us on the backstory. from the Empire of Lies and just outside the Matrix. It's time for the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. We're joined by guest host, co-host, Carter Laren. Hey, Carter, how you doing? I'm all right, man. How you been? Well, I've been better. Yeah, how you feeling? 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. So, uh, in in my case, that's a positive thing. Uh, but uh, I'm exhausted, and you know, it's it's difficult. It and but I have been incredibly supported by so many people here at the station and also in the audience wishing me well that I appreciate that support. So I'm okay. I can't complain. So I'll try not to. And, uh, well, I'm glad you're, glad you're alive at least. Yes. There's something you said for that. I want to thank John Kiriakou for joining us last hour. Great appearance by John. This hour, Edward Guillory will be talking about the Supreme Court, the new Supreme Court justice and we'll be talking about all kinds of issues with Carter, including censorship and Elon Musk. Carter, do me a favor, say the name of the show and then watch what happens. The Backstory. That was the appropriate amount of gravitas. See, it's wonderful. So Carter, <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious because you've dealt with censorship issues Yourself, you of course have the site, uh, unsafe space, and uh, tell people where to find the site. Well, unsafespace.com is the best way. You can also find us on YouTube at unsafe space. We're not that hard to find unless we get banned from places. So, um, but those are the two main that has been something you've dealt with in the past, right? You've had episodes taken down and so on. Yeah, we've been suspended several times. We've we lost our Twitter account, so now our Twitter account is underscore unsafe space. Um, but we lost our Twitter account without an explanation. We've had suspension on YouTube quite a lot. Uh, we've had videos taken down from YouTube, uh, you know, but nothing that any kind of normal wrong thinking person has to, you know, no, no, nothing different than most people are experiencing. But how have you found the chilling effect? How's that worked out? Because you have to think about, I'm sure that there's some content that you're afraid to put up because you're afraid it might lead to suspension. I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying you're giving that fear. But is it got to be a concern that's foremost in your mind when addressing some issues, correct? Yeah, I mean, we made a decision about what to do about this because you know, you could just say, screw it, we're going to talk about whatever we want and get yourself suspended or banned. Um, we we made a different decision, which was we tell the audience when we're self-censoring. And then if we have a show that we can't really self-censor, we just don't do it on YouTube. We'll do it on Rumble and Odyssey. And we'll put a little link on YouTube that says, hey, we're talking about this topic, but we can't do it here. Uh, go, look, go look at it over here. Um, and then when we are on YouTube, we just kind of, you know, We'll intentionally, if, if, we, if we are censoring ourselves, we'll say we're censoring this kind like we'll, we'll say it so that people know that we're beating around the bush and not being direct about things so as to avoid getting banned. Um, so I, I'm not sure if that's the right way to handle it. That's the way we're handling it. But uh, I know a lot of people just stop talking about things and don't say anything. They don't say that they're not talking about it. They just don't talk about it. Now, we've, we had Millie call a caller a freaking call on a show before she brought up Gab as an alternative to Twitter. What what do you think of Gab personally? I mean, I like it, but it's you've got with a lot of these 
especially Gab with a lot of these alternate platforms. Part of the problem is that, you know, Twitter did kick off normal people or people that shouldn't have been kicked off, we'll say. Um, but they also did kick off a bunch of pretty vile individuals. And those people have no place to go. So the percentage of vile individuals is higher on on sites like Gab because they don't have any place to go. And it's mixed in with people who are forced to go to a site like Gab because they've had their Twitter account suspended for some reason that is, you know, doesn't make any sense or wasn't deserved. So I, I, it is a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit more volatile and there, there it's, it is, you can find some, some bad elements, but it's not that bad. Just like Twitter, you can build your own uh, community of people that are like-minded and you can, say what you want on Gab. So, you know, the tech, the tech's not hard to recreate at this point. It's just, it's the, it's the community that's hard. So, um, well, and, and let me point out that, that you're saying some vile individuals, you're talking about people who are openly racist or, and legitimately racist, actually racist. Yeah. The kind of people that Twitter pretends they're kicking off most of the time. Um, but they actually do for they're like, some of those people are real. There are actually Nazi, horrible people who say racist, vile things. Those people do exist. They're just a very small percentage. Um, and Twitter did for the most part, unless they're on the left, Twitter likes to keep vile individuals on the left around, but if they're on the right, Twitter kicks them off. And so they have no place else to go. But then they also kick off people who are not vile individuals who just say, benign things like men are women, men aren't women, sorry. <laughs> uh, and, and they get kicked off as well. So it, it just means that you end up having a higher percentage of some, some craziness on some of these new platforms. And that's not the platform's fault. It's just, it's a function of, of who's getting kicked off of Twitter, right? There's a lot of good, fine people getting kicked off, kicked off of Twitter and then, you know, some not so fine people. So I don't know. I, there's so many alternatives. I think this Elon Musk thing, I know you wanted to talk about it. Like that's going to be quite interesting. I, you know, I was thinking the other day, how many people would actually trust Twitter? If Twitter, if Twitter reached out and said, Hey, you can have your account back. We're sorry. Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of people at this point have given up on it and moved on. And I'm not sure they would want their account back. Trump went and started his own social media site. So what would he want his Twitter account back for? Well, let's, Let's let's talk about you. Would you want your account back? I mean, with the original name, you're up there under another name. But how do you feel about that? I'd I'd take it back because for us, it's marketing. It's reaching people, and there are a lot of normies who just you know we just want to post. Hey, here's our stuff. Here, you know, here's our video, and and that would be nice. It would be nice to have that account back. It was, certainly was much bigger than our current account. Um, so I'd take it back. I don't know that I would trust them. I'd probably still, you know, our new account, I won't say that we self-censor, but we just don't, we, all, all we do is post links basically to, to our content. We don't try and get involved in any commentary or snark or anything on Twitter because, you know, someone can take it the wrong way and decide that it's a violation of the terms of service, even if it's not because they're intentionally vague. And then someone at Twitter can get upset. Um, but, you know, our first account on Twitter was, we were we were suspended permanently, and we still don't know why. They never gave us a reason. They never bothered to give us a reason. 
We appealed several times and eventually they said, stop asking, we're not going to answer. So, I mean, it's just there. It's quite an elitist, condescending interaction to have talking to Twitter because they just don't care and they don't deign to even bother to give you a reason. And sometimes they give people reasons that are clearly not even correct. You know, they suspended the Babylon Bee recently. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't trust them. I'd take our account back. But if I were personally suspended from Twitter, which I'm not, uh, and I and I was very active, which I'm not, but if I was one of these people who was active on social media, suspended from Twitter, uh, and had made a home on Gab, I wouldn't care about my Twitter account back. No. And what I want to say to you is it's not just, I don't want them to, restore the accounts unless they also restore all the old tweets and the audience. Yes. You know, you know, you shouldn't have to rebuild from zero if you were booted off. I can, you you know, imagine yeah. a, a lot of people would have to slowly build that following up again. And I just don't think it's fair. No, no. And, and look, I think a lot of people have arguments about whether Twitter should be regulated or this or that. And I don't believe in regulation of this stuff. But I, I will say I do believe that Twitter has committed fraud. And I think how they committed fraud was they told people that they were a free speech platform. People jumped on for years. I mean, I've been on Twitter since almost the beginning. Many people jumped on Twitter. They built homes there. They provided content. They helped Twitter grow. They helped Twitter reach critical mass, all under the guise of this is a, a free-for-all. You can say what you want. We're going to kind of leave you alone. And then after they reached critical mass and, and made it very difficult for competitors to rise because there was a huge barrier to entry and Twitter had giant market share, then... Then they changed how they were behaving and started censoring and doing ideological censorship and trying to, to massage the narrative on Twitter to be what they want it to be. And that's fraud as far as I'm concerned. And that's what they're guilty of. Well, I also think related to that, a lot of these social media companies, what they do is under the guise of changing the terms of service, they take discussions you could have had let's say six months ago, and they're now going back and saying, well, change your terms of service. That's no longer allowed. I don't think they should be allowed to do that. It's one thing if they've always said, for instance, threatening somebody. Yeah, I think some things should be banned. Twitter should ban people who threaten other people, who actually point blank, are threatening people. And there are people who've done that. And kicking them off, that's fine. But saying this topic, there's a new expected establishment narrative, and you have to conform to that. You don't get to do that just under a terms of service upgrade. And uh, do you see what I'm saying, Carter? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why I think it's fraud, because if this is what they had said at the very beginning, I don't remember when they started 2006 or so. If they had said this at the very beginning, uh, they wouldn't have built critical mass. People would have said, well, I don't want to be on this platform if you're going to decide narratives and tell me I can't talk about this or that. This is stupid. And they would never have been in the market position they, they achieved. They would never have achieved this market position. 
So they they achieved this market position through lying about what they were offering, and then uh, and then they just did a bait and switch. And I think you know they have these linguistic variables that they build into terms of service that are uh, 100% subject to subjective interpretation. Um, you know, a, a classic one is is hate speech, but even the words like health, like, well, we, we care about the health and safety of the community. Well, you know, you can stretch health and safety to mean whatever you want, and it's completely dependent on your political agenda. And everyone sees through it, and they do it all the time. And this is why people are, you know, are fed up with Twitter, because, you know, in the one, you know, you say that you shouldn't be able to threaten people. I agree, but you shouldn't be able to, you know, I, if I were running Twitter, I'd probably kick people off for specific, credible threats against individuals. However, Twitter leaves people like that on if they're on the right side of the aisle. And if they're on the wrong side of the aisle, even a vague joke gets you kicked off as if this was a real threat when it wasn't. So everyone sees through it. Twitter's just viewed as a massively dishonest company uh, because they are. And uh, we'll see if Elon Musk can, you know, do anything now that he's on the board. I don't think he would have spent $3 billion and taken his time to try and do this if he didn't, for good reason, think that he would have some power to influence what was happening. Well, I said yesterday that, and I'll expand on this, that Elon Musk is the kind of guy who could do it. And let me expand on what I mean by that. Elon Musk has shown he's not interested in inventing technology that is a slightly better mousetrap. He is creating technology through everything he does. SpaceX, Tesla, the battery, the boring company, all that stuff is big shifts in society in a positive way, I think. That He's he's not content to just invent, you know, like he's like like I said, a better mousetrap. And I do not think Elon Musk is getting involved in Twitter in order to give it an edit button. He's talked about adding an edit button and he's taking a poll on it. And I'm sure he's going to do that because right now the way Twitter works, you can't edit things. And I'm in favor of an edit button. I'm in favor of when it's been edited, it should say that so everyone can see that you ed- edited it. That's what I'm in favor of. But I don't think he just wants to see Twitter with a a, sh- a new font or something like that. I think he's <laughs> out for revolution. Do you agree with me, Carter? Yeah, I mean, Elon is, is known in the in the business and startup world as having huge... Uh, visions, right? I mean, his his goal with SpaceX was to colonize Mars. That's not a small vision. Um, so I agree. He doesn't want to just build a bigger mousetrap. The edit button thing, you know, I, I would want it to be time limited so that you could only edit for, you know, a few seconds or a minute after you tweeted because I don't want all of these uh, charlatan journalists to go back and edit their year-old COVID tweets and pretend like they said something different than they had in the past or, or their Ukraine tweets. I mean, look at what, look what's happening. I know you, you know, Ukraine really well, look what's happening to all this, this talk about, um, the political problems and corruption and Nazis in Ukraine, all the problems with Ukraine that everyone was talking about openly that were in the New York times, even 
suddenly uh, we're all going to pretend like that was never said. It never happened. No one ever talked like it just it, they want to send it down the memory hole. And I think if there was an edit button that would let you go a year later and change your tweets, uh, they would really be able to change the appearance of reality. Right. No, I agree with that completely. Is the controlling the past aspect of it. And I, I think there's several ways they could address that. But time limit, I'm, you know, what you need an edit button for is a typo. You, right. you type something, is, I do this all the time. I spell a word wrong. I, what I do now, the edit button, is I copy the text, then I delete the tweet, then I paste the text, then I fix the problem. And so I basically replace the tweet with a spelled correctly one. And that's where people need that edit button. But there could be a way around it. Uh, about, about the, the, there are many ways and time limiting the ability. You can only maybe, maybe an hour, maybe a day. I don't have an opinion on the time, but some short period of time. And after that, you can't edit it. That would be important. I agree. Now, I, I also, I'll tell you an area, Ukraine, you brought up Ukraine. Elon Musk, I like what he did where his company, Starlink, who's this internet service provider that uses satellites. Uh, early in the war, he came out and he said he was sending money to support Ukraine. Now, I'm opposed to that, but I'm not opposed to it in principle. In other words, Practically, I don't think he should have supported Ukraine. I think Ukraine are bad guys and Nazis. But it's his right to do that, and I'm in favor of that. But what I liked is he specifically said his Starlink company was not going to shut down information. He said he was not going to shut down Russian information sources. And I'm glad he took that stand. And he took it at the same time as supporting Ukraine, that's a big deal to me because it shows somebody who's got integrity as far as that and as a free speech advocate. So let me make a statement that's maybe more controversial. And I'm doing this knowing I'm doing this where I am central time at exactly 420. I think <laughs> here, here comes. I think Elon Musk is such an independent thinker. And I think he posted a picture of when he famously smoked weed on Joe Rogan's show. I think part of his independence is that he has been a drug user. And I think that he's the kind of intelligent drug user that gives drugs a good name. Now, some people are very adamantly anti-drug, I'm not one of them. And I think that he's talked about psychedelics and he's taking psychedelics. Uh, I think it's made him a better thinker. And do you think, so here, I'll throw it on you for the controversial question part. Uh, do you think drugs have any benefit or do you just think 
Stranger people's minds to mush and so on. Wow, that's a, you know what? Uh, I will give an answer, but I will preface the answer by saying, how the heck would I know? I'm not a brain scientist. Like, I, I don't think we can know in some ways. Like, you know, I think you'd have to be a, you'd have to be an expert here to really be able to, to talk about what the effects of drugs are. I will say, uh, I think like anything, um, drugs can be horribly destructive when they become addictive and they can turn your brain into mush. Obviously, they can destroy your life. But, uh, you know, you do see people like Sam Harris and a lot of other people talk about small amounts of of different drugs and, and periodic usage being uh, something that they think has really enhanced uh, their ability to think. And, and, and also, you know, look, the, the truth is some drugs are legal and some aren't. If you're going to make a case that drugs all screw up your mind and they're all bad, then you have to make that case for all of the legal drugs as well. I mean, SSRIs, I think, are probably just as much, if not more, damaging than a lot of the illegal substances that we talk about um, in many cases. So, uh, yeah, I, to me, I look at it, you know, you know me, I, you know, I'm, I'm more laissez-faire and libertarian about this. Look, I, I don't know uh, if I would make a sweeping statement about whether they're always bad or always good. I, I think there obviously can be a lot of bad side effects, but I also know people who, you know, they don't take them all the time, but they do take them sometimes and they do take them for uh, either recreation or just, you know, there's a there's a trend in Silicon Valley. There was at least to microdose on LSD um, kind of regularly. So a lot of these people, you know, they make a case for it. Look, I, I don't know. You got to imagine lots of things can break the human brain. And and one of the things that breaks the human brain and the psychology the most is adverse childhood experiences. And if you have a high adverse childhood experience score, you're, you're more likely to have a lot of problems as an adult. And there's a large percentage of the population that has those problems. So, you know, it's possible that some of these drugs help overcome broken brains or help mitigate problems that are caused by broken brains. So I, I look at this as I, I don't like religious thinking about this where it's like, oh, they're always good and they're good for you or they're always bad and they're bad for you. I don't know. And that's what I'd like the free market to be left to decide and people can figure it out and we can watch. I mean, Elon seems to be doing fine. Great answer, Carter. Now, another thing I want to talk to you about is this. I, and I, I, I don't exactly know how to address the, the subject. Because if I say the fake name that they gave it, the don't say gay bill. I hate that fake name. But the sure. the bill in Florida where Rick DeSantis was pushing his bill and the people who hate the bill named it don't say gay, even though the bill doesn't say anything about not saying gay. If they call it, you know, what I would call it is don't talk to kindergartners about sex. I think it's a better name, more accurate. What's your take on that situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, so I traced this. I'm pretty sure that it was Representative Carlos Smith in Florida who first said, or at least used the hashtag, don't say gay, um, to describe the bill. And of course, he knows what's in the bill because he's a Florida legislator. So he presumably read it. And I think reading it and then tagging it with that uh, hashtag or that, that uh, nickname is completely dishonest. I mean, and you've seen people, I mean, a lot of people just haven't read it. Saturday Night Live did a skit 
um, making fun of it. You've seen other people uh, talk about this. Um, and and you can tell from what they say that they haven't read a lick of this bill. They have no idea what's in this bill. You've, I forget who it was recently. I think it was someone from probably The View or one of those shows who, who's made some comments about what if it said what you wouldn't let them pass a don't say straight bill. And, you know, if you read the bill, you realize, actually, you can't say straight any more than you can say gay. I mean, you, you can say both of them, but they're they're equally treated. This is a bill about teaching children, specifically the part of the bill that's, you know, relevant here is teaching kindergarten to third graders about sex. It's sexual instruction for kindergartners to third graders. And it basically says you can't do it. It doesn't say you can't mention that you have a gay uncle. It doesn't say you can't talk about your two mommies. It doesn't say any of that. It just says you can't give sexual instruction to kids from K to three. And that seems pretty reasonable. And then after that, that has to be age appropriate. So I think um, what's scary to me is the extent here to which people are fighting this because I don't think it's an honest fight. If they were really concerned about being able to mention a gay uncle, they would have said during the debates, hey, this is, let's change this language here. This is a problem. It needs to actually be tweaked because what if it covers this case that you didn't mean to cover? That's not what's happening. They're just misrepresenting this entire thing, whipping up a, a cancel mob on this bill, um, although it's passed now, it's signed, and, and acting like they're, they're under attack. I mean, it's, it's, uh, they're pulling a Jesse Smollett on this bill, and it's, and it's outlandish, and the number of celebrities who are willing to just jump on the bandwagon and have this performative outrage over a bill that they haven't read is despicable. Yeah, and it, it goes along with a number of states have actually passed now the you can't be an athletic if that, that are if you were born a boy, you can't compete in girls' athletics. They're saying this. I noticed that that issue, it seems to me more people are aware of it, and when they become aware of it, they're going, This is nuts. You do you find that, where where do you think that's headed? The female, the transgender athletics issue. Where do you think? Where do you see that going, Kerr? I mean, I, I'm really curious to see what the population will swallow here because it's so obviously unfair to young ladies, um, and uh, and and women as well. And so, um, yeah, I kind of wonder why all of the women's sports organizations just don't rename themselves to female. Uh, and then they have to have it because female is a scientific, it's a biological term because they've, they've, the left has successfully separated the discussion of gender from the discussion of sex. Now they will go after sex and attack it also, uh, eventually. But if, if we want to be precise with our terminology, we can say, well, look, the problem with having males and females competing in the same, uh, race or the same event is that males have a, on average, genetic advantage in many of these uh, events. And so that's the problem. So if, if we just rename this female sports, I think you would have a really hard time saying, well, she's a trans woman, she should be allowed to do it. It's like, well, that may be, but she's not female. Um, and it would undercut it. I don't know why no one's really doing that. I do think it's, I still have a little bit of hope that the American people will see this for what it is. 
which is basically just an attack on women's sports and on young women who are, uh, you know, trying to compete. It's, it, it's one of the most misogynistic things actually you could think of doing, right? It's think of it, think about what's really happening. A bunch of males are declaring that they're women and taking medals away from actual females. It's, I mean, if that's not misogyny, I don't know what is. And I pointed out uh, whatever one's thoughts on this issue, pro, anti, the safe money is always bet on the person who was born a guy. If you're betting and you see a transgender athlete in a swimming pool, bet on them, put money down. If you're gonna, don't, don't let your ideology get in the way of you winning a bet because it's the safest bet in the world. Coming up after a short break, we're joined by Albert Guillory, great friend of the show, Albert Guillory, on the backstory. back. It is the final half hour of the backstory. We're on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area on the radio. We're joined by Edward Guillory, attorney, activist, and current candidate for lieutenant governor of the great state of Louisiana. Carter, have you ever talked to Albert? I don't think you have. I haven't. Good to meet you. So, so Carter, Meet Albert, Albert, meet Carter. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, sir? Very well. Welcome to Radio Sputnik. <laughs> well, you as well. Thank you. Now, now, Albert, we were talking with Carter about the issue of transgender athletics. Is anything going on with that in Louisiana? Is it an issue that's on the legislative agenda at all down there? Absolutely. Uh, we have a bill moving through the legislature right now that will prevent um, boys and men from stealing women's sports. That took us a long time to create. I, I was in the 1960s and 70s. I was one of the forerunners, uh, one of the, the early warriors, because I'm a, a, a son of a mother and a brother of sisters and now a father of daughters and we wanted uh, an equal opportunity for those for women to compete and to showcase their skills and these loser boys now want to destroy all of that by declaring themselves girls crazy we're going to stop it in louisiana and what's the public, what's, because we're talking about the public's reaction is, is there, do you see a groundswell of support for transgender athletics among any segment of the population? Do people, this, I think this is so common sense that I'm shocked that they actually have any political support. And I think they, they do it because they don't have very many. They get celebrities to come out or whatever, or academics. But do you see any other pe people very clear 
um, the way they feel about the issue? The vast majority of Louisianans, along with the vast majority of Americans, are not in favor of this transgender um, sports business. The there is a a far left group of of people, and some people, and not all, not nearly all, probably a, a third or so of the LGBTQ community who are supportive of this, but they too recognize that the transgender sports issue will rebound on the entire LGBTQ community by just getting folks sick of the whole thing and and start to, what we're doing in Louisiana, start to pass laws that will prevent it. And once those start, you never know where they're going to to stop. Carter, any uh, follow-up on that issue? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think, obviously, I think, I think you're right. Uh, I I know gay people who are have been very frustrated for a long time that, frankly, that the the trans ideology has been lumped in. Right? I mean, gay, lesbian, and bisexual are sexual orientations. Trans is not a sexual orientation. Um, it's you know, and they would say an identity. I mean, you can argue whether some of it's autogonophilia or whatever it is that's happening, but it's not a sexual orientation. And, you know, just when most of the country got comfortable with gay marriage and and started to to view gays in the way that they had advocated for being viewed for decades, which is we're just like you, we're normal. uh, That that was that was what they were trying. You know, that's what they wanted everyone to really understand and get behind. Now, suddenly we've got these these people uh, putting a dress on and stealing medals from women. Uh, by declaring that that now I'm a woman, um, people who clearly have the the muscle mass and genetics of a male, and I think uh, I think you're right. I think the backlash is dangerous for the entire cause. Um, and I also think actually a lot of the the trans ideology being applied to children in schools is going to turn out to be very detrimental to children who would have otherwise been. Uh, declared or discovered that they were gay or lesbian later in life. You're now seeing, you know, someone who's a tomboy who might have turned out to be a lesbian or an effeminate young man who might have turned out to be gay later in life. They're being told, oh, that's because you're not a girl or you're not a boy. Get on hormone replacement therapy, have surgery. Um, And it's it's just irresponsible and it's child abuse. And I think people are starting to wake up to this. I totally agree. We also have a, a law being passed in Louisiana that will address that issue, uh, the issue of abusing children um, long before they uh, have really become sexual at all, other than just inquiring little little people. Um, it's 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 a a problem that we are addressing here also. Now now we have breaking news today. Then, of course, we have Justice Brown Jackson. The Senate passed the first black woman ever to be a Supreme Court justice. And I said at the top of the show, I was starting to write about it. I said, I don't feel like this matters, really. And it doesn't it seems anticlimactic for what is in theory a historical moment. 
but it doesn't because because it's not going to affect the, it doesn't affect the makeup of the court. The court still has the same liberal conservative breakdown, and I think the fact that she's a black woman, it doesn't feel. Do you think that that it matters, Albert? Much. It's it's a justice who I, it's who's put forward by the Democrats. Therefore, I don't agree with them on a lot of issues, and I don't care that I don't agree with them. And as a black woman, or if it was a fat white guy, I was espousing the same judicial philosophy. Albert, how much impact on the nation do you think this nomination and the, this confirmation is going to have? Zero. Absolutely none at all. What this is, is really the battle between liberals and conservatives over the direction of the Supreme Court. And they have been pushing for some time to to try to get a majority on the Supreme Court. And one technique that they have used is to dress a far left judge uh, in uh, as as a black female. They started out to find a a black female who would meet their temperament, their the liberal qualifications on abortion, on gay rights, on immigration, on on all of those issues that are going to come before the Supreme Court soon. And so they trying to get a, a, a more than a 6-3 conservative bent, which the court has at this moment. They, they've been working on it for some time, and this was their latest grab. Unfortunately, it, it's, it's unfortunate for black folk that the whole race, ethnicity, and gender has uh, um, been elevated over qualifications, over temperament and uh, judicial temperament, those qualifications to be a, a Supreme Court justice have been just pushed aside. Now, do you think it's just this candidate was especially good or bad? And in other words, I think she seemed like a standard issue, giving vague answers during confirmation hearings. I don't see her as especially good or bad. What do you say, Albert? I think that she's a far left judge. She meets the qualifications that Biden uh, um, had in mind when he when he selected her, he and his minions. But it it, it didn't matter one whit. You could have dressed a far left judge in any kind of outfit or race or gender or ethnicity. But the real issue is they know how she will vote on Roe versus Wade. They know how she will uh, vote on gun rights, on immigration, on race in voting, race in college admissions, on crime, punishment, and the death penalty. We absolutely know where she stands on gun rights. She, she checks every um, block 
for liberal for qualifications as a, a far left liberal judge. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I and, and I, I I oppose. I'm not going to agree with a far left judge on a lot of issues, but I think it would have been again. They get a white guy in there. He would have checked the same boxes. Biden's got a narrow range of views on issues, and they, they wouldn't be in that position if they didn't know how she would vote, right, Elbert? Exactly. Exactly. Now, Carter, any uh, comments on the new Supreme Court justice? Um, well, like you, it's hard for me to get super energized because, you know, whoever Biden nominated, I was going to disagree with probably. I mean, based on their their judicial temperament. Um, but, you know, I, part of me thinks it's a little bit, it's it's unfortunate that he announced he was going to nominate a black woman beforehand because I do think it undermines anyone and any anyone who wants to celebrate the accomplishment of of having the first African American woman on the Supreme Court really can't because it, it, it's not clear that she was there because of her qualifications in the first place because he announced at the beginning he was limiting the field uh, to African American women. So I think you know that's a little bit unfortunate. I do think. Aside, though, from being just a, a regular liberal, I think the question about can you define a woman was important, um, not because I expected her to answer it, but precisely because I think it reveals her allegiance to the the radical trans ideology. Um, I've heard people say, well, you know, as a judge, you can't, you know, she has to go by definitions that are in the law, so she can't define it. But she could have easily said, you know, in any case, I would have to go by the definitions that are related to the law. But obviously, colloquially, I can describe a woman as an adult human female. That would have been fine, and it would have signaled that she is not bought into the radical trans ideology. She didn't say that precisely to signal that this is not your, you know, the leftist judge from the 90s. This is a modern, woke leftist judge, which is, uh, in my mind, way worse than a 90s leftist. You, you agree with that, Albert? I think you would, right? Yes, she is a a true far far left liberal judge. Now, obviously, she's qualified. She knows how to read a law book. She's graduated from law school. Um, she's she's passed the bar. She's been on the federal bench. Uh, no one challenges that. the The real issue is the fact that she's a very far left judge who will attempt to destroy what remains of of American culture in those issues in those areas that I've talked about from abortion to gun rights and crime and punishment I was just going to say Ken Sondek has an article in uh, the Spectator about um, some of her judicial reasoning which I found quite disturbing um, and the example he gives this is related to to border, uh, issues in immigration, but he gives an example of uh, Make the Road New York as a case that in which, you know, the law clearly said that the attorney general had unreviewable discretion. In fact, the quote is, shall be in the sole and unreviewable discretion of the attorney general, uh, this a designation for someone as a particular status. And she decided that she didn't like 
how the attorney general had used his own discretion and that it was still subject to her review, even though the law said it shall be in the sole and unreviewable discretion of the attorney general. So I think she is totally willing to be an activist for a cause and to ignore the language in the law. And that I find that and not not that it's unique. There's a lot of judges like that, but I certainly find that disturbing. Most disturbing, because that is exactly what we have. A group of, of far left, uh, Sotomayor is, 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 is one, uh, judges who are prepared to disregard and trample the written laws of this country, trample the Constitution, throw those out of the window and create right out of the air just like you can create transgender women, I guess, right out of the air. Uh, they will create positions. Uh, they will find that abortion uh, is in, it has a right in the Constitution, uh, it, which was never written there. It's a sad thing to see. But the good news is that we have several good, strong conservatives and the the best news of all is that Republicans are about to take back the House and the Senate. This wave, this this red wave that's rolling across the country, is a beautiful thing to watch. People are leaving the Democrat Party in droves. So it's clear that the next judges, the next appointments, will be. Um, made by and managed by Republicans, conservatives, hopefully. Now, Albert, I, I agree with you. People are leaving the Democratic Party. In fact, I, I forget what it was in Florida, I think. It's for the first time in many years, there are more registered Dem Republicans than Democrats. But why do you think they're leaving the Democratic Party? What is causing people to leave? specifically do you think albert the the fabulous failures of the biden administration uh their attacks on oil and gas which have driven up inflation and driven up the cost of gasoline and transportation uh skyrocketed their position on immigration with their positions the open borders position, uh, which are flooding millions and millions of illegal aliens into this country, their successes in Afghanistan and Ukraine, which have been gross failures, uh, the violence that is overtaking the country, the, the rotten education that's overtaking the country. And of course, the issue of corruption uh, with with Hunter Biden, Obama, their their overt corruption, the, the fact that they started this mess in Ukraine in in 2014, and they have their families have become multi multi millionaires based on the billions that Americans have sent there. Those shenanigans uh, have just turn the stomachs of so many common sense Americans that they they have to find a, a new home. And hopefully the 
that that home will be for God, for country, and for common sense. Car, anything you want to add there? I'd actually just like to ask Albert a question because you know I I was around in the '90s and voting age in the '90s, and I remember thinking of Bill Clinton as a far lefty, and I stand by that. Uh, he was far lefty by my standards. But now, someone with Bill Clinton's politics from the '90s, I, I think fits into the Republican Party. Uh, I'm I'm wondering how you see the party changing. Whether Trump had uh, a real impact on it, whether it's going to kind of implode and reinvent itself, and and how much there is a war between kind of the 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 Trump Republicans and the the Mitt Romneys and the entrenched Republican establishment. There is a battle raging in the Republican Party between the the dyed-in-the-wool Trump supporters and those who uh, feel that it's time to move on uh, and find another standard-bearer. I've, I've been staying away from those arguments um, because I just uh, my argument is against all of the, the fought left nutty positions that are taken. So my energy is not going to be invested in that that battle. But it's an interesting battle to see. I believe that the party will come out stronger as a result of that. Um, There's a strong effort to identify and evict uh, rhinos, people who are, are, are just liberals who have carried or or carrying the R behind their names. And all of that is a part of the party's attempt to clarify itself and strengthen itself as we move into the congressional elections later this year and the federal elections next year. Now, you mentioned uh, immigration. I want to mention something that happened yesterday that governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, did. He signed legislation that would take illegal immigrants. They've got a huge problem in Texas, as you say, millions, and offered them a free charter bus ride to Washington, D.C. And he signed this in. I saw him sign it. It authorized it immediately to happen. Do you think that's just a son, Albert? Or a brilliant political move? Actually, I think it's a brilliant political move, and it is not a new one. I, in 2014, um, Obama dropped 1,500 uh, illegal immigrants on Louisiana, young adult uh, illegal immigrants on Louisiana. Cost us more than $10 million in the first three months for their health care, their special needs, uh, education. It was my position at that time that we should put them all on buses and take them to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and leave them right there because it was Obama's mess. We didn't get a penny to, and it's, it's cost us just in three months, 10 million. Can you imagine over the years how much money just that group has siphoned from the poor? in Louisiana. I, I thought then that we should take these folks, they, these are this is Obama's problem, take them to his doorstep and leave them there so that he can address their needs and issues. I'm happy to see what Abbott has done. 
I applaud him. I think it's a brilliant move. I hope that more states will do it. If I become lieutenant governor of Louisiana, I am I intend to see to it that no illegal aliens are dumped by the federal government in Louisiana. We're not going to let the planes land. We're not going to let the buses come in to our borders. And Albert, you mentioned you're you're running for lieutenant governor of Louisiana. How's that going? How's the election going for you? It's going extremely well. I'm out um, a year and a half before the election and working just as hard as though the election were being held this June. It's it's going very well. The reception is good. People are just tired. We have a set a set of of radio and uh, television ads that are running, but you can't be satisfied addressing the specific issues of, of violence, of education, of immigration, of the attacks on oil and gas. People just can't be satisfied with the nutty positions that are being taken by the mainstream Democrat Party right now. Well, I've worked with Albert, and and I know that on when it comes to doing television commercials and stuff like that, you couldn't ask for anything better than Albert get Guillory in front of a camera and talking. That's what you're doing, I assume, right? They know what a prize they have in you, that you are a great speaker and your delivery on stuff and just you talking to people and saying what you think is a winning campaign ad. I haven't seen the ads yet, but I assume that's what they are, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, just God, country, and common sense. That's all we, we're talking about. And so tell us a website for your lieutenant governorship run. If you go to votealbert.com or... YouTube, Albert Lee Guillory, my Facebook page. You can see what we're doing and um, give us prayers. Give us advice. A couple of dollars wouldn't hurt also. There we go. Albert Guillory. Check out that website. Fantastic appearance by Albert Guillory. Thanks so much to Jean Kariaku in the first hour. And great, great guest hosting by Carter Laren. Always like to talk to Carter about the issues. This has been a great show. We will see you tomorrow as we close the week out here on the best damn talk show in the world. You've been listening to The Backstory. Backstory.